0: Alright, we're back for another episode of the This That podcast. Today's guest is Matt from the Melbourne Meditation Centre. Welcome to the show.
1: Thanks, Liam. Glad to be here.
0: I'm quite excited for this episode because as I mentioned in our conversation before, meditation has been an interest of mine for a very, very long time. And I think a lot of people um, have gained an awareness of The benefits of meditation but they maybe don't quite understand it and i think a lot of people's opinions of it can be quite varied because you don't fully understand it so i want to start my first question on on that side of things what is what are some things that people get wrong about meditation
1: Hmm. well yeah you're exactly right there's uh, most people are aware of the stereotypes rather than the reality Mm -hmm. um and Number one, actually, if, well, bear with me for one second. I've got a little image I often share. Um, really everyone where they hear the word meditation, they picture something like that. It doesn't matter where you, where you go. You can go to your local bank
2: and,
1: you know, it's an a dead advertisement. They're still sitting there like that. <laughs> um, and when people see that image, there's just a whole lot of assumptions that come up um like partly they think there's an ideal posture um that you're meant to be sitting you know and i'm surprised at the number of people that ask me oh we're going to be sitting cross-legged on the floor and they think that's kind of a requirement that you adopt that kind of stereotypical posture and that keeps a lot of people from even starting because they know well i can't do that (laughs) or (laughs) i wouldn't be able to get back up if i tried or i'd break my knees or something um so that's a that stereotypical image um is is kind of a misconception in itself like i can say if every magazine on sport you ever picked up had a picture of someone playing croquet on the cover you'd go hmm that's not really representative of the diversity of sports that are out there this is kind of the equivalent it's not representative of all the ways you can meditate so yeah people think they need to sit still not only that they think their mind should be still empty blank thought free they think that to be a good meditator you have to do it every single day without fail or you won't make progress Um, people often think you need to let need a certain length of time i need to do 20 minutes twice a day is a kind of common recommendation not so prevalent now but that used to be really common um what else people think they shouldn't fall asleep that that's kind of bad. If they relax to that degree, then somehow they're failing. Um, people think they should be able to perfectly focus. If they're asked to stay with the breath, they should just be able to like keep their mind like a laser beam on the breath indefinitely, never get distracted by anything. Um, so there's, that's four or five, half a dozen of the main misconceptions or ideas people have that are just totally unhelpful.
0: From what you describe it's not a universal experience for everyone. Everyone's got a bit of an individual journey. So is the goal in meditation to delve further into that individual journey? What's the the ultimate purpose of actually pursuing this practice?
1: That's a great question. I don't think there is an ultimate purpose um, or a universal purpose. It's like I'm interested in what's your purpose, or what's what's the student's purpose? Like some people, it might be really pragmatic. I just want to be able to sleep at right night, or I want to feel less anxious or less stress. I want my mind to be less like a you know a war zone or a dangerous place, or more like a you know a kind of friendly household or something. Um, so you got very pragmatic kind of therapeutic reasons, if you like. Um, then at the other end, you've got people who are seeking enlightenment, um, whether they know what that means or if anybody knows what that means. Um, so, yeah, the, your point, I think your point is that it's really a very individual thing and what works for one person um, probably won't work for another person because we're very different and we've got different needs, different purposes, different temperaments, different tastes. So meditation, I believe, has to be customised to those needs you know like um if i gave you a plate of olives and you hate olives then it doesn't matter how much i tell you these are awesome these taste delicious you know you've got got to got to eat them just keep eating them until you like them (laughs) it's not going to (laughs) work and i think meditation is very similar you might have a technique that works for you but trying to make it work for someone else is kind of futile
0: I'm wondering, would you be able to give me context on how you were actually introduced to meditation in the first place and what mm. your journey has been with it?
1: Yeah, so I it was pretty random, actually. Um, I've been backpacking. Um, and I was in the UK, but my kind of visa ran out, so I got kicked out of the UK. Didn't really want to come back home because I loved it. I was living in London at the time. So I thought, where can I go? I thought, well, all of Asia is in between the UK or Europe and Australia, so I might as well see what's there. And I ended up in India. And someone said, when you're in India, you should do yoga. And this was kind of mid nineties. So yoga wasn't near as popular as it is now. So I thought, why the hell would I want to do that? I just thought it was some weird practice for circus contortionists or something. Um, But I ended up doing five hours a day for three months. And each afternoon, the teacher would introduce us to meditation. Or basically, he would say, sit, stay, and leave us there for half an hour while he just disappeared. Um, So that was my introduction to meditation. But whether because of those very simple (laughs) instructions or or otherwise um i had some quite compelling experiences i actually felt like i was going to spontaneously combust it got really hot i was sweating i was shaking i wasn't that hot where i was so that was like hmm what's going on here this is this doesn't normally happen when i you know just sit um so i thought hmm there's there's something to this i'm not sure what Or why or how um, but that kind of, kind of intrigued me so that set me on a different path i went and you know read every book on meditation i could find went to every class i could attend Listened to every guru that came to town um and spent yeah kind of years trying to figure out what's what's this all about why is do why does these weird experiences happen when you do this meditation thing so That's how I got started.
0: You said in there, you felt as if you were going to spontaneously combust. And that was during these 30 minutes that your teacher left you alone. Could you expand on that for me?
1: Uh, Yeah, so this actually happened over the first couple of days. Um, I remember just, yeah, I think I was, it's like my body was shaking. Uh, how could I describe it? It's like, I'm not really, I was going to say it's like I was, if you're really nervous, maybe you might shake a little bit. It's kind of just started, yeah, this kind of shaking, even though I'm just kind of sitting on a cushion basically. Um, and also it was late evening or early afternoon, Late, late afternoon, nice cool breeze, and yet, yeah, my body was just, It was like my body was generating its own heat as though I was working really hard, like I'd gone for a run or really physically exerted myself. Um, And that didn't, funnily enough, that didn't scare me. I didn't find it disconcerting. It was just peculiar. It's like, hmm, this is kind of weird. This is interesting. I wonder what's going on here. Um, And then that experience intensified over the next couple of days like it it was like it was, I was generating more heat and it felt like it was just kind of rushing up, kind of upwards through the body. Um, yeah, literally like, yeah, hot wax was good, like a volcano, like hot wax was just going to come bursting out my ears or something. So yeah, that's that's, that's an elaboration for you.
0: <laughs> and with that, was that the point where you noticed that there was something more to this practice? and? Was it, was it an act of meditation? Because by, by the sounds of it, it was just your teacher left you there for 30 minutes and was like, right, okay, sit. be still and <laughs> silent. Was he actually teaching you meditation or was it, was it kind of like a um, karate kid where he teaches him to put on the jacket, and take off the jacket? What was going on there?
1: <laughs> yeah, that's an interesting question too. I think, in some ways, I think that style of teaching, if you can call it that. <laughs> um, is in some ways very skillful because um, it's like the teacher trusts you, trusts that you'll be able to kind of navigate your way through whatever happens. So, yeah, the teacher's placing a lot of trust in you to manage your own experience, um, And I think, you know, that's in some ways that's the best way of learning. It's through direct experience. wasn't given a whole lot of, you know, instructions, rules, this is what you must be doing, this is what you should experience. It was just sit and stay. Um, How hard could that be? Um, I'm not sure I answered your question there, but, yeah, I would definitely call that meditation because he did frame it as, you know, now we're going to meditate. Mm. Uh, and so I had the intention to meditate. If you have the intention to meditate, then what you're doing is meditating, whether you know how <laughs> or what. Um, you can you kind of invent it as you go along.
2: Mm.
1: And actually, I haven't really thought of this, but I often describe meditation as like it's not actually a skill you have to learn. It's a, it's a natural human capacity or instinct. Like everyone has meditative moments in their life completely naturally. Just examples, common examples might be you're lying in bed um, under the covers, warm and cosy, just listening to rain patter on the roof and you're just listening to the rain and it's just peaceful, calming, quiet. So you're in a natural meditative state. You're focused on the sensory world. Um, Your body becomes very restful and relaxed. So I think in a way, even though what I did in that circumstance was kind of a bit more structured. It wasn't totally organic, just kind of, you know, lying in bed listening to the rain. It was still, it was kind of natural, Mm. not artificial or some, there weren't a whole lot of concepts and rules imposed upon me. It's just sit there and see what happens.
0: I love how you've described the meditative states that, you just sit and listen to rain and it's a natural human instinct rather than something so definable and tangible mm. and i really want to come back to this later on and talk about technology and social media and maybe the lack of access to these moments but mm. for now yeah. i want to dive into just that part of your story and i'm curious what are the kind of differences and maybe your character your mindset before this three to four months in India and after how did you change as a person
1: um well until, prior uh, up until that point meditation was not on my radar at all um as a formal practice at any rate um you know I remember having meditative experiences like the rain listening to the rain as a as a child, primarily, um, but yeah, I'd, it, it meditation itself couldn't have been further from you know my mind. It was just not an area I was I'd even heard of. I don't think. Um, so that one little conversation and that experience in India kind of completely changed the direction of my life. Um, because up until that point, yeah, nothing, and then. And then I suddenly, yeah, kind of obsessed is maybe too strong a word, but definitely really, really intrigued and interested. And it's spending a lot of time kind of exploring meditation. And being in India, you explore Buddhism and Hinduism and spirituality and religion and all those associated ideas as well. Um, so it, it opened up a whole new area of interest. Mm. Um, a hobby which became uh, a my life, really.
0: <laughs> Can you tell me more about that? How did that four months after, how did you get from there to where you are now?
1: Mm. So I, eventually I had to get back home to Australia and having been backpacking for years and not having any real career plan, I didn't know what I was going to do with myself. This was the time, this was late 90s, so the internet was just kind of coming online. When I started backing, there weren't email addresses. Started backpacking, there weren't email addresses. Um, towards the end of my backpacking days, people started giving me email addresses instead of their actual address, and I'm like, what the hell is that? <laughs> <laughs> what good's that? How can I visit there? <laughs> so, so I got home and discovered the internet taught myself how to make websites, Uh, moved to Melbourne and got work building websites, basically. Um, But tired of that pretty quickly. Um, Working in IT, you know, five days a week, eight hours a day, wasn't all that inspiring. So I started thinking, what else can I do? And I was attending a meditation class at that time Because that was obviously still my main hobby or interest. And the teacher where I was teaching um, eventually said, hmm, I think you know more about meditation than me. Do you want to take my class? Um, I said, oh, cool, that sounds like, yeah, I'll give that a shot. Um, So I started teaching in a little kind of wellbeing centre and really loved it, Um, found that really enjoyable. Then that business Moved. I was really disappointed because I was, yeah, that was the highlight of my week was taking that meditation class. So I thought, ah, well, maybe I can do this myself. So I put up some little posters around the neighborhood saying Matt's meditation classes, 8 p.m. Wednesday afternoons at my house. (laughs) I bought some cushions, had a spare room, (laughs) invited people in (laughs) Um, and kept going. And then over time I thought, hmm, maybe I could actually do this, like, ai didn't think of it as a business opportunity, but maybe I could make my living or make a livelihood out of doing this. Um, so I went and studied with a teacher, uh, Eric Harrison, uh, in Perth, whose books I'd read and who, whose approach really kind of appealed to me. Um, then I came back to Melbourne in... 2004, and decided, right, I'm going to set up a business just like Eric's in, in Perth. Um, and so that's what I did. And at that time, you know, if you wanted to learn to meditation, you'd, if you wanted to learn meditation, you had to go to pretty much a Buddhist temple or somewhere very kind of new agey and spiritual. So there wasn't really accessible... Mindfulness meditation presented as a skill in kind of, uh, yeah, just as a skill like learning an instrument or learning to play a sport or something. It was always tied up with religion, spirituality, a whole lot of philosophical ideas and concepts. And so that put a whole lot of people off. So I thought there's definitely an opportunity to teach meditation as a more uh, pragmatic skill. Um, so, yeah, that's that's how I that's the kind of transition from India trip to Melbourne Meditation Centre today.
0: I love the story about you just having cushions set up in your living room, (laughs) in your house, come along to my house and and meditate. Do you look back on those times with like a fond nostalgia of just how crazy that was?
1: Yeah, exactly. Why would anyone even like come?
0: (laughs) Who are these people that just like,
1: you know, it's like you tear the tab off the, the little poster in the supermarket notice board or something and yeah, I'll give that a try. And, and so, yeah.
0: Was there a moment during that that confirmed for you that this is something you could make work? Because at the start of that, um that kind of sentence, that paragraph you were speaking about there, you said that, oh, can I make a living from this? You were working in IT at the point was there a point where it switched, where you were like, yep, yeah, I can definitely do this, I can make this work, or did it just naturally progress that way? Yeah,
1: I think I just had a kind of naive overconfidence, or just I just assumed that it would work. <laughs> um, I, like I, I did not have any you know business plan or this what I'm going to do. I just built a website, put flyers and posters up, thought, yeah, people will come. I had three different venues, and actually, I remember I spent, well, the best part of of a year kind of preparing um, my course, what I was going to teach, yeah, building the website, hiring venues, and then with, I think with about a week to go before I'd scheduled my first classes, nobody had registered for a course nobody had made an inquiry nobody had rung up i'm like oh maybe this isn't a good idea maybe i can't make a little a little but then i remember i got my first letter which someone had sent It filled out a registra registration form which they picked up in some random place sent it in with a check i was dancing around the lounge room <laughs> And by the end of that week, I had 46 students enrolled in my first series of courses. Um, And that's been the smallest number of students we've had in a term since. So it was, yes, looking back, it was kind of a bit bizarre and remarkable the way it actually turned out.
0: That's that's incredible that it just happened to work in that first place and has only ever grown since. Mm. It's an incredible story. You mentioned um, when you were learning from your, your past tutor there that he had a very pragmatic approach. And I'm wondering what your approach to meditation and teaching that is now.
1: Yeah, it's still pretty uh, true to that. Just Let's see if we can make this as simple, as clear, as straightforward, as accessible, as non-threatening. Um, as possible let's customize it to the needs of contemporary people um, so it can be integrated into your day um, so there's no massive demands on people Um, so yes that they're still all the primary kind of um, core principles under which kind of I teach with the added notion that we try to make meditation a thought and a thought and emotion-friendly practice. So it's not so much about setting thoughts and emotions aside, but let's see if we can make them our make them our allies, so that we inhabit, you know, a, a healthy, harmonious kind of space or headspace with them. Um, that's a little bit different to where I started, but yeah, the, the core principles are pretty much identical
0: and how does that work if i came in and said i'm interested in meditation would you take me through a questionnaire and can i find out a bit more about me and tailor it to me or is there a certain style that you teach to to everyone
1: yeah if if we were having a one-on-one um i would definitely be asking you the questions you know what does meditation mean to you how would you define it um if I was to say, right, we're going to sit and do five minutes of meditation, um, what would you do? So that gives me an understanding. So in other words, I'm really interested in finding out what are the, what's the student's beliefs about meditation? Because all those beliefs are usually sabotage, they usually sabotage the person's effort to meditate.
2: Mm.
1: Um, And so if you don't address them, if you don't actually ask what they are, you can't find out what they are. So they, they'll go away with all these unhelpful beliefs kind of maintained and every effort they'll make to meditate will be kind of, yeah, sabotaged by those unhelpful beliefs. So that's the way I'd work if I was doing, yeah, one-on-one with someone or a very small group. Um, for larger groups, I still go through that process, but it's kind of in a done in a in a way that's suitable for working with a large group. You know, working one-on-one and with a large group is a little bit different. Um, Could
0: we flip the script for a moment and do a bit of role play where I would be coming in for a one-on-one session, maybe just over the course of the next couple of minutes and just go sure. through your usual process of what that looks like and I'll answer honestly? Yeah, great idea. <laughs> awesome, let's do
1: it. Okay. so first question would be, why are you here what what's your interest what are you hoping to get out of meditation or this session
0: um for me i want to have a better understanding of my own thoughts and emotions um and not be pulled by them so much and be able to understand why i'm feeling certain ways and to react to them kind of positively or not react to them but to be able to understand them on a deeper level um, so that I'm not just kind of swayed in different directions without any knowledge of what way I'll be going.
1: Mm-hmm. So it sounds like you want to be able to respond intelligently or skillfully to, yeah, maybe the, maybe the more troubling and difficult or just, just thoughts and emotions in general.
0: 100% be able to yeah. understand them and not just be pulled around by them um, mm-hmm. and understand why I'm feeling certain emotions as well
1: Mm. so it sounds like you're quite curiosity driven um you've got a got an interest in just understanding yourself but also perhaps it sounds like um you want to uh, hesitate to say use the word kind of be a better person but um maybe just yeah move through the world in a in a more skillful way with would you put it in would that be a way i think you describe?
0: i think conscious is definitely a big part of it because i think a lot of my behaviors i might not fully understand the ramifications of how i act to other people and i think i'm i think i'm a good person i'm always good to other people but there might be small things mm-hmm. that i do or say here and there which, mm. which aren't as great for example i'm traveling just now i've been away from home for over a year but yeah sometimes i'll not message a friend from home in over a few weeks and i'm not conscious of like that impact and i want to be more aware of like how my actions are received
2: Hmm. okay
1: yeah um <laughs> this is gonna go in a weird direction or well, not a not a typical direction that's that's not the typical um reasons people come to see me mostly it's um yeah but um so did, how do you think meditation will help for in that regard or for that purpose
0: i think when i i practiced meditation for 90 days straight the start the start of 2020 mm-hmm. and the biggest thing i noticed is that i was just way more aware of my unconscious behaviors and unconscious actions and unconscious drivers,
2: so uh-huh.
0: with those ninety days, I was fully understanding of why I didn't want to do something or why I did want to do something, or uh-huh. why I was feeling sad uh-huh. that day and so on. So, uh-huh. bringing more of those unconscious unconscious thoughts to light, yeah, I, I found really liberating, and I loved that because I love being able to understand what's uh-huh. going on. Uh-huh. Maybe a control freak in that manner, but I like like being aware of it for sure.
1: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you can make more informed decisions if you're aware of what's actually going on, for sure. Mm. Um, So if we were to meditate for five minutes, how would you go about it?
0: So the one that I practiced in the past um, was mindfulness meditation. And the name of the book's Escaping Me, big yellow book and it's um done by a guy who was a neuroscientist who also practiced meditation mm. can't remember the name of it um we'll come back we'll come back to that um but what he would always do is he'd start with an intention or this is how I'd practice it as well start yep. with an intention start with so that's like the overall goal so your overall goal for practicing the intention for that practice any distractions that might come up and then uh, kind of promise to yourself to try be as conscious as possible. Then he would do five deep breaths and then he'd work through a body scan. And then he would go from taking the awareness from your breath at your nose, your chest, your body and outside, and then bring them in one circle at a time. And mm-hmm. then from there, it would be focusing on the sensation of the breath at the nose and cycles of 10 and yeah. it wasn't about not having thoughts it was more about not attaching yourself and your kind of value to those thoughts mm-hmm. um, and that was the style of meditation and just working through that for longer periods of time
1: mm. so from what you said this was the practice you was you were doing over those 90 days
0: yeah
1: yeah so from what you said it sounds like it was quite effective in the sense that you felt like you were much more aware of unconscious behaviors, etc., cetera, etc., cetera. so it worked for your purpose. Um, but I'm thinking, could there be ways of meditating that are more suited to your purposes? Um, and rather than me kind of telling you or suggesting what that might be, I'm interested in. If you were given permission to uh, meditate in any way you liked, to rewrite the script around what meditation looks like, what you should be doing in meditation, what you should and shouldn't focus on, um, given your purpose of becoming more conscious, more aware of thoughts, emotions, behaviors, unconscious behaviors, your impact on others, um what might you do differently or what might you suggest if kind of you were approaching you for advice
0: on terms of how meditation would actually change like the practice itself would be different
1: yeah exactly what how would the practice be different or or would it be different
0: i think a big part of me is missing and longs for some form of accountability I think being traveling for so long by myself um I miss having people with similar goals around me who I can wake up to every day and practice that with so I think for me I'd love to have a meditation practice that is centered around other people um Mm -hmm. And I can maybe learn from their kind of trials and tribulations as well, and mm-hmm. keep each other accountable. So that's that's probably something I would change from more of an individual pursuit to be part of a larger community. Would be uh-huh. the biggest part. Um, and as you mentioned earlier, um, one of the one of the things um, that people get wrong about meditation is it has to be in a a seated position with the legs crossed. Um, Whereas I always found that really, really uncomfortable. So perhaps yeah. more, perhaps lying down would be great. Yeah. But I yeah. think for me, the ultimate one thing I'd love to try explore is like the kind of deep, deep spirituality of it as well. Because I am innately curious, and I'd love to try get into those really, really deep rhythms and push that. Um, right. because I'm, I like, I love pushing myself, whether it be physically or spiritually or intellectually. So Mm. I'd love to be taught by a teacher, be part of a group that was in pursuit of maybe something more rather than just like practices for daily life, maybe trying to push the limits of that and see how far Mm -hmm. we can get into it.
1: Mm. So if I could make one observation, um, you said you were interested in exploring, yeah, your thoughts, your feelings, um, unconscious drives and the, and and just then kind of what's maybe beyond or beneath all those things as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but the practice you described was focusing on the breath in several places and on the body. Mm-hmm. Um, so, in a way, thoughts and emotions were kind of excluded. I mean, you can't exclude them mm-hmm. <laughs> because... No matter how much you focus on your try to focus on your breath or your body, they will come up um, but many people don't give themselves permission to focus on their thoughts and emotions directly mm. um, not not to not to feel like you have the need to um, anchor your attention um, on something like the breath or or to, to require a technique even, or to use uh, some kind of meditative strategy. Um, <laughs> in fact, it goes back to my initial experience. Sit, stay, with no thought. Or well, what, what I sometimes say, sometimes I'll begin a meditation, they I'll say, don't make any effort to relax. Don't make any effort to focus your attention. Um, don't even try to meditate. Just sit there. Let your attention drift freely. Be interested. Just be curious about what draws your mind. What seems to interest your mind, um, and just kind of yeah, just be a person and see what it's like to be you. Mm. <laughs> um, that I don't know. How, how does that kind of practice sound to you?
0: <laughs> For me, it sounds like I would love to do that, but I'm like hesitant to partake in it because everything i've ever been told about meditation is about being or letting those thoughts go not interacting with the thoughts and emotions so Mm. like i've got like a um hesitancy to partake Mm. in that because of what i've been told in the past about Mm. what meditation is
1: yeah yeah it's kind of like thoughts and emotions are kind of taboo like you 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 can have them, but only at a distance mm. or only don't get caught up in them as though they're kind of dangerous or problematic or something. Um, make sure you, yeah, you just witness them, you observe them or you let them go or whatever. Um, so, yeah, I I think um, – that's the analogy I give is if you treated other people like that, like you have a friend that comes up you haven't seen for a while or you're, you're ringing someone back home to have a chat um, and they come up all excited or they're going through a tough time and they want your support and you just kind of keep them at arm's length. You kind of just, I'm going to focus on my breath. You talk away, I'm focusing on my breath. That's not a healthy relationship or you could – they're probably, gonna, they're probably not going to be very happy with you if you kind of treat them like, yes, I'm just witnessing you. <laughs> 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 Don't expect any response from me. <laughs> and so I say, if you wouldn't do that to another person, um, why would you do that to yourself? Um, or another way, like, what would it be like to have a deep connection with those parts of yourself? and a deep trust in those parts of yourself, um, those thoughts, those emotions, such that you are companions and allies on the path rather than like ships passing in the night or something. Um, but yeah, you're right. That what I'm suggesting is, you know, kind of radical mm. in the context of what most people, the typical narratives around meditation um, I mean, there are other teachers that, uh, share this or have uh, recommend this kind of approach as well. Um, and when it's kind of explained, most people kind of think hey, that makes sense, you know, establishing healthy relationship with my thoughts, yeah, something about that appeals to most people, um. And there are other analogies I could could use to explain kind of why you might like to do that. But, yeah, it contradicts the normal narrative. So sometimes it can be a little bit – it takes a little time to kind of um, take the idea on board. And perhaps even months um, of people kind of tentatively trying out and testing these alternative ideas, thinking,
2: oh, uh, maybe –
1: Flipping, um,
0: flipping back into interview mode, what, yes, what I'm yeah. finding or what, what I'm now kind of conceptualizing from what you're saying is that the style of meditation you're teaching might have more of an effect on character and more of an effect on people understanding their insecurities and their self-talk and being able to understand themselves rather than just maybe that analytical power that traditional meditation would give. So it's given them an elite focus and attention, whereas your meditation is more about understanding those emotions and thoughts and developing a healthy relationship. Am I right in saying that?
1: So I didn't quite follow what the contrast was. What are you are saying? The, the meditation Trad- approach is traditional, that, you're, that, you're, that you consider traditional or you're used to.
0: So so the, the traditional sense where you're just focusing on the breath. Yes. Um, is better for maybe focus and uh, like attention and kind of honing uh-huh. that analytical skill, yeah. whereas the style you're teaching is more about kind of developing your character, working through mm-hmm. your insecurities, your self-talk, um, more so your kind of personality.
1: Yeah. Um, I actually think it is uh, – as useful, if not more useful at developing focus as well, mm. um, but indirectly because what I find is this this is the way I see it. If you try to focus exclusively on the breath, but there's a lot going on in your world, um, your relationship, your work, um, your health, whatever, there's some kind of stress, then um, it doesn't matter how much you try to exercise that focus, all those issues, concerns, distractions are going to keep coming up because they can't be ignored. You can't, life doesn't work that way. You can't ignore something, a problem. Our whole nervous system is designed to kind of address threats, dangers, issues, concerns. So if you're trying to develop great, focus with some kind of character defect or difficulty in your relationship, or the relations you have with life in general, then you're kind of working across purposes. You can't really, that focus can't develop until the conditions are right for good focus. So if you address the bad relationship, the, the workplace concerns or whatever, and sort those out, then your mind will naturally come to a point of rest. You won't have to kind of fight to hold your attention in one place because there won't be anything kind of drawing your attention. Um, so yeah, that's, that's the way I see focus works is focus is the outcome of attending skillfully to everything that distracts you.
0: Okay. Interesting. Yeah. <laughs> that's, it's so simple and intuitive the way you're describing it just now. But it's so, there's just not enough information on that. Like everything's about 10 more productivity hacks or nine ways yeah. to boost your focus and attention. And it's some supplements here and a quick <laughs> fix there and a Chrome mm. extension that'll block some things. And there's not yeah. enough just to be said about actually tending to what those distractions are, which is so interesting that that's not something that's that's commonly thought of.
1: yeah yeah i I scratched my head and i i spent a couple of years thinking what why are they teaching that why, why is it so why is that the prevalent narrative um because yeah it, it just doesn't work in my
0: experience <laughs> i'm curious you've obviously you went probably through hundreds if not thousands of students right
2: Mm-hmm. yeah
0: what types of people undertake meditation are they at a certain stage in life mm-hmm. Has something happened what are like the kind of commonalities you've seen across students that start mm.
1: well, i kind of mentioned you know anxiety insomnia stress um some crisis um some difficulty going through a tough time um, health problem, um, maybe just, yeah, not feeling happy or not feeling themselves, um, just struggling with, struggling to feel kind of in balance, in control, all those kind of things, sometimes just pure curiosity, interest. Mm. Um, but m- more often it's, it's some suffering. This goes back to your question about, I think, um, I think you mentioned something about young people and whether they um, took up or what, whether they were interested in meditation. And I, I kind of say somewhat flippantly that sometimes young people haven't suffered enough. <laughs> um, like they, maybe they're, they're too optimistic and hopeful. Well, think, I'll get through this difficulty or well, they just haven't had enough kind of pain in their lives to think it's worth, you know, taking the... You know, this step to, to meditate. Um but yeah, does, does that answer your question? That's the, the, the yeah. primary reason people are coming is because there's some some issue, concern, problem, difficulty that they want relief from.
0: With that being said, it's easy enough for anyone to start anything. I could say I'm gonna start badminton. I a racket <laughs> and do badminton tomorrow, but what really matters is if we can make a practice stick. So yeah. what makes meditation stick? What have you found to work?
1: Uh, I could either say I have no idea, which is probably the closest to the truth. <laughs> uh, I think pain, like the more, the more pain or need someone is in sometimes, like some of the best students are those that they're, you know, they're suffering from some chronic pain Um, and nothing else has worked. So they'll just try anything and they'll stick with it and they'll give it a go. Um, Also, um, finding a way to meditate that brings them enjoyment, satisfaction, it's like finding a shoe that fits. Or you've probably got clothes, items of clothing that you wear more than anything else. I don't know if you're like me, I, you know, you might have so much in your wardrobe, but you just get the same pair of shorts out each day because they're, <laughs> they're the ones you love. <laughs> they're comfortable. They just feel right. Um, so I think lots of people are, are trying on meditations that don't quite suit them. They're like a size too small or they're the wrong cup or something. And so it never really sticks. Um, and maybe they're not encouraged to try different styles and types of meditation, or adapt it, make it their own, like I was suggesting to you. You know, I ask you, how would you change? How would you do this meditation if you were the boss? You were the meditation master. You got to decide how to do it. Then it's customized for you. Um, I think, yeah, when you find it a meditation that fits, then it's much more likely to stick.
0: Mm. With all of this, you mentioned before that a lot of people that undertake meditation have anxiety or go through chronic pain. You said for making it stick for people, it's it's mainly about finding something that, that works for them.
2: Mm. Yeah.
0: What differences do you notice in people who undertake it and then stick with it? Not in terms of maybe being able to deal with the anxiety or deal with that chronic pain, but in terms of their character, have you noticed people conduct Mm. themselves in a different way or their personality changes? What what are the kind of like unspoken benefits that aren't really talked about?
1: Yeah, this actually that that's most palpable. Because I do classes where I teach complete beginners. I also do meditation teacher training. So if I'm teaching, doing meditation teacher training, those students have invariably or typically done at least a couple of years of meditation. Um, And, yeah, the difference is palpable in that they have the capacity to relax at will. Um, They have much greater capacity to be present. Um, to be able to listen, to take in information, to not be distracted and thrown off course. Um, they t- they're typically probably more understanding, flexible and forgiving. This isn't universally true, but as a generalisation, um, less easily kind of triggered or aroused or uh, re- less reactive. Um, able to see other people's perspectives and viewpoints a little better. Um, Yeah. And yeah, just, I think the primary thing is just able to be present and be at ease and accept the moment as it is. Mm. Yeah.
0: With all that presence and being able to be a good listener and being right there, what is that like for you in your own mind? How conscious are you over your own thoughts? Because for me, I w- I'm just going to try to draw an anecdotal example to kind of paint a picture. Yeah. So for me, quite a lot of my life, as I described, I feel as if it's life has been pulled away from me and I'm maybe not as conscious as I want to be in each interaction. And I remember back to that time where I was meditating a lot and I remember when I was conversating with someone it's almost as if I was in a little chamber above my head and I was uh-huh. able to see that interaction happen. And it was mm-hmm. somehow able to be more present because of that. Because I was like, Okay, no, your attention's here. And it was as if I was controlling my own mind. What's yeah. the experience like for you?
1: Yeah. So that's kind of what I call our metacognitive capacity. Mm. Our ability to kind of see or have so The other time is where, if you don't have that capacity, then it could be that 100% of your attention is kind of, it's like taken away by a parasite, like like a mental parasite kind of grabs all your attention and parasite's maybe not the best word, that's a dramatic word, but it's like, it's maybe more like a program, uh, a reactive program in the nervous system, a habitual program, has kind of come online and it's taken up every bit of your attention and it's just going to run that program. So you're very reactive. You just, so you might be doing something without any awareness. Mm. So it's like all the bandwidth you have available is being consumed by some part of you that you don't really have control over. Um, whereas with meditation, you know, I find that, that rarely happens. That I'm not aware at some level of what I'm doing and what I'm saying. Um, so, yeah, I, I guess for whatever reason, I'm not on autopilot um, as often that I that I assume many people are.
2: Mm.
1: Yeah.
0: With Getting into this kind of meta-cognitive state—is it just a case of getting those reps in, or, 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 and—is there a possibility to get into these states through things like the retreats where you're meditating intensely for a certain amount of days, or a vipassana retreat? Hmm.
1: Yeah, I don't think it's just a matter of reps. Um, for example. If I'm trying to build my biceps and I'm doing the reps with this pen, mm. <laughs> and that's not going to make much difference you know? <laughs> um, and I think similarly, like people people often in meditation will say, oh, "I just think I need to practice more." and I think no, doing more practice the way you're practicing won't necessarily help you've got to Maybe you just need to make an adjustment in the way you're practicing, which will lead to some change. So I think um, developing that metacognitive awareness, um, I think intention is probably actually the most important ingredient. Um, And it can be very context-dependent. So you might have the intention of being very conscious whilst you're doing a formal meditation practice, but then you mightn't apply that anywhere else in the rest of your life. So it, you may not have the intention to apply that anywhere else in the rest of your life, so it may not develop. Whereas if you think, right, I'm going to pay attention to how I behave or I'm going to deliberately modify my behavior um, when I interact with such and such a person or when I go to the gym or uh, when I eat my breakfast or whatever it is, then I think you can, it's what I call colonizing space. You're um, creating the potential for more awareness to develop in very specific situations or contexts. Does that make sense?
0: Sort of. Sort of. (laughs) <laughs> I was struggling to follow that a little bit. So... Yeah.
1: So, it's not, it's not just doing reps. It's like if... Like, again, if I use a very simple physical example, if you're doing bicep curls, that's not going to develop the strength in your legs. Mm. You have to do a different exercise to get the strength in your legs. Mm. So... Just doing um, mental reps whilst you're doing a formal meditation practice, that might make you very aware whilst you're doing a formal meditation practice, but it mightn't have any effect on how you relate to someone or how you behave at work or in these other circumstances. It doesn't necessarily translate.
0: Okay. I completely understand that. I get you now. Yeah. reps not translating yeah i'm wondering with all this so you obviously do classes online you do classes in person you do retreats can people properly learn meditation online
2: Uh, properly (laughs)
1: what does properly mean
0: well i guess properly in this context means to the point where they get the benefit they're looking for
1: yeah definitely no doubt about that um I mean, during COVID, um, we had to teach online. That was the only option. And, yeah, the feedback was great. People found it very beneficial. And, yeah, they, they definitely got what they wanted out of the course. Um, so, yeah, it's learning meditation is not that difficult a skill. Mm. Um, it's not that difficult a thing to do, um, at least – That's what I'd argue. If you've got good instruction, um, it should be a fairly easy process. Definitely harder to maintain that practice, um, but learning and getting, you know, the, the simple things people might want out of it, definitely possible.
0: One thing I have noticed with just life in general, at least for me, I'm 23. And one thing I have noticed is that so much of my world in terms of the media coverage and social media and technology is just filled with noise. Mm. Content from this person and that person. It's just constantly feeding you with information and yeah. so much. Is there any practical tools that you teach in terms of being able to escape that noise? Do you teach people to be able to act like to be able to interact with it? Or is it a case of avoiding it? Like what's your kind of thoughts and approach on that? Mm.
1: I think that's a pretty individual thing. I don't kind of preach about the dangers of social media or, the, well, yeah, not normally unless someone asks me. Some, sometimes people ask me how do I relate to it. Um, but I do find that without me making any recommendations or any suggestions whatsoever, people will say, ah, you know, and they, they might have started the meditation course a week ago and i say a week later I'm driving to work and not putting the radio on
2: mm.
1: or I'm, I'm not watching the news in the morning or something, which is a, uh, that surprises me. That's because so many people are so addicted to the news and social media. Mm. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's interesting that that kind of naturally happens to certain people. I'm not sure I answered your question.
0: <laughs> no, no, I think you did. I think you did, and I think if silence could be bottled up and sold as a product, people <laughs> people would buy it. People would really buy it, um, <laughs> just a case of not knowing they need it in the first place. I think uh, a lot of this conversation has kind of taught me that. I mean, you you asked me actually what I wanted to get out of this conversation, what I hope to learn, and. What I've learned is that meditation is way more individual and less rigid than I previously yeah. thought it was. Yeah. And it's very much based on what you want to get out or what you want to achieve it for, and the practice can actually be mended to that. Yeah. With all of that being said, what I want to do and what I usually do at the end of a podcast is I finish on some quick-fire questions. So uh-huh. with each of these, I'm looking for a 30 to 45 second answer for them and i uh-huh. make them i make them specifically hard <laughs> the ones you could give a 5 minute answer to but you have to be constricted to that 30 or 45 seconds okay oh,
1: concise all right i'll do my best okay
0: <laughs> what is the most profound spiritual experience you've ever had
1: mm um probably during a meditation i did where i became so focused on the breath that
2: it's like i didn't exist i I was just the breath
1: Mm. yeah that total oneness unification kind of experience
0: what is your understanding of spirituality
1: um, so spirituality for me is encompassed by a few, this might be before your time, um, the film, Kevin Costner film from quite a while ago called Dances with Wolves, there's a scene in that where the buffalo are slaughtered by the, the white man, I guess, and the Indians are just horrifying. Um, and for some reason that scene just sums up what's encapsulates what spirituality means i don't know whether that answers a very good answer so you need to exceed the film to understand it at all
0: leave that one up to the listener for sure <laughs> 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 how do we find more spirituality in our day-to-day lives
1: uh i think just by being kind Being kind. that's simple
0: and last question What's the longest you've ever meditated for in one session?
1: Uh, well, I have done several Goenka-style Vipassana retreats mm. where it's 10 hours a day. Um, and there was what they call aditana, meditation of strong determination, where you're meant to sit for a full hour without moving a muscle. Um, Actually, I, I would have meditated for longer than that, but that's what comes to mind. Sitting there for full hour, I might have even tried longer on that retreat, but yeah, without without like moving at all. That was sitting cross-legged on the floor, and my knees, yeah, were yeah. I kind of left my body. or uh, felt like I was <laughs> floating above looking down at my excruciating knee
0: (laughs) (laughs) I think anyone that's tried to sit in that lotus position for long enough knows exactly how much pain you must be going through (laughs) at that that hour mark Um, awesome (laughs) I think that's made just like an awesome conversation it's been such a pleasure uh, speaking to you so thank you so much for coming on the podcast
1: my pleasure too William. great questions Um, yeah really enjoyed it